0: Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc. Let's jump in, Uh, let's pray, and let's just invite the Lord into this time uh and to be able to speak to our hearts lord i just want to thank you for each of my brothers and sisters uh, that are hungry lord we don't get up at, at six uh, unless we're hungry to get to know you in a more intimate and closer way and we know lord that you've not lost your voice over the centuries that you still speak to us loud and clear through your scriptures and Father, we just believe uh, that you have a message for us here in Second Samuel chapter 16. So I pray, uh, Lord, that you'd help me to deliver the message and you'd help the people to be able to receive it. And we just pray, Lord, we'd walk away from this study uh, being able to hear you say a new thing into our spirits. So, Father, we thank you ahead of time for touching each of us by your love and by your grace. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' strong name, Amen, Amen. Okay, let's read Second Chapter, uh, Second Samuel Chapter Sixteen, and then we'll try to take it apart. Now, when David had passed a little beyond the summon, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephistopheles, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. The king said to Ziba, why do you have these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, and the bread and the summer food for the young men to eat, and the wine for whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Zebah said to the king, Behold, he's staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Zebah, Behold, all that belongs to Melchizedek left is yours. And Zebah said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O my Lord the king. When King David came to Baram, behold, there came out From there, a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. And thus, Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you men of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abashai, the son of Zerui, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zerba, if he curses? And if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then you shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Bashi and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now the Benjaminite? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him, Perhaps. The Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David and his men went on their way, and Shammai went along the hillside parallel with him. And as he went, he cursed, and he cast stones, and dust at him. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary, and he refreshed himself there. Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem. And a bowl with him, and it came about when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom. That Hushai said to Absalom, "Long live the king! Long live the king!" And Absalom said to Hushai, "Is your loyalty to you? Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend?" And Hushai said to Absalom, "No, for whom the Lord." This people and all the men of Israel chosen, his will I be, and with him I will remain. And besides, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Anthopol, Give your advice. What shall we do? And Anthopol said to Absalom, Go in to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the advice of Anthropal, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So it was all the advice of Anthropal regarded by both David and Absalom. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, as I'm looking at uh, 2 Samuel 16, there is a lot of different people, and there's a lot of different details, and we kind of can get lost in the story. So I just want to center in and concentrate basically on two themes that I pick up in this chapter number one theme, As there are consequences, there are consequences for sin and for disobedience. That's a biggie. There are consequences for sin and disobedience. The second point is we should always be open to hear other people's opinion. We shouldn't have a closed mind. I don't want to hear what you have to say. We need to always be open to hear what somebody else might be trying to speak to us. So before we jump into these points, let me give you some background that will lead into them. So number one, the background is, as we've been looking at the, the past chapters, we see that there's been a growing tension between David and his son, Absalom. And this tension is mounting and it's increasing to the point they're beginning to be alienated From each other. Uh, And at this point, uh, it looks like, and not actually looks like, it's actually going to happen. Absalom is going to try to seek to get the crown and the throne of his father, David, so that he can become king. And he actually has a plan uh, on how to do this. Uh, We saw this on the chapter yesterday. Let me just say it again. Here was, here was Absalom's plan. Uh, Back it up just one chapter, chapter fifteen, and if you look at verse three, uh, Absalom said, "Hey, I'm going to sit in the gate, and that's uh, of the city, and that's where basically business transpired, where people would hang out, where different things that were important uh, unofficially were done." And here's what Absalom did: uh, fifteen three. Then Absalom would say to people that would come if they had some kind of a gripe. Uh, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you in this part uh, of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, that one would appoint me judge in the land, then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, okay, to me, and I'll give him justice. And it happened that when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. And here's kind of the end result. The end result is this. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom has a plan. He's trying to win the people away from his father so that they would basically make him uh, the king. So basically What he does is he does that, he comes to Jerusalem, and then he seeks advice. Uh, And there's a fellow here uh, that's glad to give him advice. Uh, We're now in chapter 16, and if you look at verse 20, uh, Absalom goes to a fellow that people run to many times to get guidance. And Absalom goes to Anhithropel, and he says, basically, give your advice. What shall we do? Okay, so he has a plan in mind. But he says, help me figure this out. What should I do if I want to become king? And Paul said to Absalom, and here's the deal. Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So he there pitched a tent. On the roof, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Well, when Absalom does that, uh, number one, he he is just totally telling his father, "Like I don't care about you." Uh, he's just blowing off his father. He's he's, he's insulting his father. He actually goes into all his father's concubines. These are not David's wives. These are like the women that are on the side, you might say. And uh, so he's he's definitely insulting his dad. But number two, in ancient Israel, if a man would do that to somebody's concubines, what he's basically saying, I'm taking the throne, and that he's going to be the king. So this brazen act uh, by Absalom basically is just. Shout into the world, I am going to be now the next king of Israel. So what's interesting, this calamity that's happening to David is not accidental. Uh, It's not by chance. Literally, it was predicted that this was going to happen to David because, and here we're beginning to get into this idea of the consequences of sin, it was predicted that because of David's sin, things were going to begin to fall apart for David. <clears throat> if you remember the story, uh, and here's the sin: uh, we go back a number of chapters. David loves after Bathsheba; he gets her pregnant. He knows in a he's in a tight spot. He's in trouble, so he's got to try to find a way to cover his sin. He tries to get Uriah to come home from the battle. Uh, And then have Uriah have sex with his wife. Therefore, it's going to look like it's Uriah's kid and not David's. Uriah is faithful. Uriah will not give in to do that. Uh, Basically, when David sees his plan is foiled, he basically sends Uriah to the front line, has Uriah killed. Uh, So this is a bad chain of events for David. One sin after another and basically that gets him uh, in a mess. Uh, <clears throat> so keep your finger in 2 Samuel 16. If you would go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and <clears throat> I want you to see where what happened with the concubines was actually predicted. So go to 2 Samuel 12 and verse 9, and this is where Nathan the prophet confronts David face to face. Now listen to this and see what Nathan says is going to happen. Okay, verse 9 on chapter 12. Nathan says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? He's talking to David. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, here's the results. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. So here's the prediction. Behold, I'll raise up evil against you from your own household. Okay, Absalom. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. That's exactly what happened with the concubines, and he shall be with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Okay, so this is a big deal. It's very clear that what happened to David was a result of his sin. What we saw the Bible says we will reap. Uh, Now, realize this, God is always willing to forgive sin. God did forgive David here, okay? He did forgive David, but there were consequences. Now, I want us to look at a number of biblical examples. Yeah, we know God forgives, and, and you know, I just so like if there's any sin in your life, God is willing, I don't care what it is, God is willing to forgive any sin, not only forgive it, but to cleanse it, to wipe it away uh, because of what he did on the cross. On the cross, he took the sin, the guilt, the shame of all of us. So just know there's nobody here that has to leave this study feeling guilty. God's dealt with the sin, and if we accept Christ as our Savior and our Lord, we can be a new creation. But saying that, even though God forgives sins, there are consequences, and I'd like us to look at this concept so that we really hear it in a broader perspective. So let me give you a number of illustrations of this. God puts Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden, a garden of Eden, it's a perfect place. And he says, hey, you can eat of all the trees. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to eat. That was very clear. And God also said, on the day you eat of it, you'll die. And guess what? We know the story, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, uh, and there's a consequence. They die. They don't physically die at first. Eventually they die, but they die on the inside. They die in spirit. That was a consequence. That beautiful fellowship they had with God went down the tubes, and we've seen the repercussions of it. Even the fact of what's going on in Israel today, in a sense, to a level, is a repercussion from way, way back from Adam and Eve. Uh, And I have to remind myself, too, let's remember to pray for Israel at the end. So important on on the whole world scene at this point. Another illustration. We know uh, as time went on very quickly, uh, Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel, okay? And there's consequences. Cain is cast away. He's he's just a a wanderer for the rest of his life, just an empty shell because of his murder of his brother. Another illustration, if you look in uh, the early part, So the Old Testament, Miriam, the sister of Moses, begins to give Moses grief at times, begins to put down the leader of Israel. And we're told because of that, at one point, she struck down with leprosy, again, for speaking against a leader of Israel. In number 16, we hear about Korah uh, and a number of the priests. They revolt against Moses and Aaron. And they're supposed to respect the leader. They don't, and they revolt. And literally, if we look at uh, the chapter number 16, you'll see that the earth literally swallowed them up. There was a consequence for their sin of rebellion against the leadership of Moses. One of the greatest tragedies uh, and the sowing and reaping is God told the Israelites, I want you to go into the promised land. I want you to go into the promised land go in and conquer it. And for fear, the Israelites turn back, and because of their disobedience and lack of trust in God, they wander in a wilderness for 40 years. That's a consequence of not trusting the Lord in their case, not obeying him. And God had given them a number of miracles to prove that he was worthy of their trust, that he was worthy of their obedience. And they blow him off. And I guess. Guess why? Forty years in a desert. A couple more. Uh, we know the story. We've looked at it somewhere in the past, where Joshua defeats Jericho. Everything's doing good. Uh, they go. They they're going to defeat the next town, Ai, and they fall. And it, it should have been an easy battle to win, but they're defeated. And they find out ultimately it's because Achan, one of the Israelites, took some of the spoil which he was told not to do, and he hid it in his tent. And because of this one man's sin, Israel, in a sense, was punished. Again, it's this whole law. What I sow, I reap. What I sow, I reap. If I sow sin, there will be consequences. We saw the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. Starts off good, but he disobeys God. And guess what? Consequence, he loses his kingship. We see it also uh, with David. Again, the same thing. Because of his sin, he loses his kingship to Absalom, let me give you just one other illustration. If we fast forward a couple of chapters and eventually you'll get there, uh, another sin of David and God forgives sin of David, but there's consequences. So it turn, if you wouldn't, and I'm sure you're going to see this down the road a bit. If you look at 2 Samuel and uh, 24, and uh, what we see, the background is David numbers the people. And you think that's a harmless thing, but what Davis was trying to say is, okay, how big an army do I have? Uh, Because the bigger the army in his head, the better ability to win against the enemy. And God's not happy because God's saying, David, you're not trusting me in the battle. You're trusting your ability to have a big army. Uh, And David gets himself in a mess. So look at uh, 2 Samuel 24.10. Now, David's heart troubled him after he numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have acted very foolishly. David owns up. He messed up. He sinned. 11. When David rose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad. David's here saying, Go and speak to David. And thus the Lord says, I am offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I may do to you. So God came to David and told him and said to him, shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. So, God's basically saying, David, because of that sin, there's going to be consequences. And you choose which one should I allow to happen. 14. And David said to God, I'm in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So, the Lord set a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. Well, that's that's a heavy consequence. Sin is not something we can dilly and dally with. It is odious to the Lord. It's hateful. If you look at what's going in our world today, I look at the battles uh, that are going on, the fighting uh, in the Near East. I look at the trouble in our own nation. I see it in our own uh, area. It's sin. Look what sin has done. It's distorted and twisted God's perfect world. And we as a society are reaping the consequence of our sins. No doubt about that. So one other extreme example of consequences of sin. If we look at the New Testament, one illustration there, we've mentioned it before in the past, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira sell property. They give it to the apostles as if they're going to help the poor. That's just great. Uh, The problem is, though, they lie. They're deceptive. They say, basically, to Peter, we've given us the whole deal, and they only gave a part of what they had. And Peter sees right through them, and literally, they're struck dead. So there are consequences for sin. <clears throat> Let me give you some illustrations in modern life. People can commit crimes. And God's willing to forgive any crime. But guess what? There's a consequence. You may go to prison. <clears throat> we know of the story of Charles Colson and Watergate. He got involved in things he shouldn't have. <clears throat> God was willing to forgive him, but guess what happened to Colson? He went to prison because of what he did wrong. The beautiful story is God used that big mess, turned it around, and in prison, Colson gives his life to the Lord and has an amazing ministry afterward. But the fact is, he committed a crime. Consequence, go to jail. There's people that kid him in, uh, adultery in their family. And many times the family is lost. The marriage is broken and the kids are alienated. A consequence. People can carry carried away with gambling. <clears throat> God's willing to forgive anything. Crime, adultery, gambling. But you know, the gambling is, guess what? You may go broke. So let's just put it this way. <clears throat> Satan uh, it's like fishing. He, he puts a little worm on a hook, and he and he takes that worm on the hook, and he he waves it before us and says, look how juicy. Look at how juicy this worm is. But the problem is when the fish or we bite the worm, guess what? There's a hook in it, and that hook can mess us up. Bathsheba was that juicy worm on the hook. She looked really good to David. Unfortunately, he got hooked by his sin, and it caused the rebellion of his son and his kingdom to be shattered. So on this little first part, there's three scriptures that come to mind. Uh, One is found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says this, there's a way which seems right. David, oh yeah, this looks right. Bathsheba's, wow, this is good stuff. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So a lot of things may look right. They may look tempting. They may look juicy, but watch out. They may cause death. There's another verse in Numbers 32, 23. Moses is addressing a portion of the people of Israel, and he says this, Behold, you have sinned before the Lord, and be sure, here's the word, be sure your sin will find you out. We think we can fool people. Yeah, we can fool people, but you can't fool the Lord because he sees everything, and Moses is saying to them back then and to us. Be sure your sin will fill you out. In other words, sin is going to get you one way or the other. You can't avoid it. You've got to realize it. And there's another verse that's said many times in the Bible, what you sow, you will reap. What you sow, you will reap. So, what I'm getting from this first portion of scripture here, 2 Samuel 16, is we need to learn from history, folks. There is example after example, example in the Old and the New Testament that sin will mess our lives up. God's willing to forgive it, but there will be repercussions. So I need to say to you, I need to say to myself, and we need to say to everybody out here, do not play games with sin. Do not play games with sin. It will bite you, and it can destroy, and it can ruin your life. That's point one. Second point is not super long, but I think it's important. We need to be open to hear the opinions of other people. We need to be open to hear the opinions of other people. So David's just kind of doing his own little deal here. Back to chapter 16, there's a guy by the name of Shemai shows up, okay, out of the scene. Let me just read it, 16.5. Uh, when King David came to uh behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men. Or at his right hand and at his left. And thus Shemai said, when he cursed, now he's saying this to David, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. I mean, that's heavy duty stuff to say to a king, right? Verse eight, the Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you're taken in your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed. Wow. I mean, if you can just get that picture, this man is really in the face of David. He is bawling him out. He's saying, you've messed up, you're a sinner, and you are going to get it. <clears throat> now, David could have blown off Shammai. David in the flesh could have cursed back at Shammai. Uh, He basically could have said, and rebuked. Shemai, like, who do you think you are? I'm the king. You're this wild guy. Kill him. Uh, David could have done all those reactions. And in fact, the fellow that was next to David basically says, hey, that's not a bad idea, king. Look at verse nine. And Abashai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, why should the dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. Uh, David could have done that, but look at what David does. How does David react to this situation? Verse 10, but the king said, what have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruah, if he curses? And if the Lord has told him, curse David, then you shall say, why have you done so? Then David said to Bashai and to all his servants, behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life, how much more now the Benjaminite, let him alone, let him curse. Here it is. For the Lord has told him, perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. Verse 11, David says, the Lord has told him. David is receiving these words of Shemmai as coming directly from the Lord. I think that's really, 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 really interesting. Uh, He receives these words as coming from the Lord. I believe David's saying, This man's speaking the truth. I think God is disciplining me through Shemi. As I said, David could have reacted the other way. He could have got defensive, he could have blasted him, but David owned up to what was being said to him. So what's the point I get out of here? Number one, here's the point. Uh, Don't get caught up in your own head. Have ears to hear what other people have to say. Don't get caught up in, you know, my way is right. Everybody else is wrong. And so often, that's our judgment, you know. I'm the right one. That's the way I think. I've got my head straight. Everybody else needs to see it my way. No, because it's so it's so easy for us to be getting to be defensive, and not really hear what somebody's trying to say. We don't want to hear it, so we kind of go like this: I don't want to hear it. I got my mind made up. I have my opinions. I really don't need to hear from you. And that's not the way David responds. He's willing to hear. So I, I hear basically. The Lord's saying to us through this, don't be defensive. Don't ignore what other people are trying to say to you. And this can happen so easily in marriages. We just think we're right. I don't want to hear what that other person has to say. We see it with parent-child communication. Everybody thinks they're right. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Unfortunately, we see it between friends. Same issue. Uh, Some issue comes up. And I'm not really willing to hear what the other person says. You know, unfortunately, guess what? It even happens in church. People get tiffed at each other. They get upset. They have their own agenda, their own way of thinking. And I'm not going to really hear what you had to say because I'm right and you're wrong. So I think by the grace of God, if somebody has something against you, Okay, and I'm sure we've all been there where somebody is not happy with you. Instead of turning them off, I think we need to be objective. We need to be able to hear what are they saying to me? We need to get into their shoes. We need to hear their perspective. We need to try to feel what they're feeling at that point. And we need to understand where are they coming from? Because God can use other people to point out our weak spots, and God can use other people to point out our sinful behavior. I, I'm amazed at David. When Nathan confronts him about Bathsheba, David says, yep, you're right, Nathan, I agree. I sinned. When God used Shemai, in a sense, to rebuke David, again, David didn't get defensive. Did David didn't say, I don't want to hear what you had to say. David said, uh uh-uh, I think God's trying to say something to me. So uh, let me just end up saying, if you feel like there's some kind of a conflict between you and somebody else, uh, what I would say is, first thing is step away from your own perspective and ask yourself, could they have a point? Am I really willing to get and hear where they're coming from? Or am I so set in my own agenda and my thinking that I'm always right and somebody else is always wrong? So important. Communication is absolutely essential for marriages, for parents and child, for friendships, even within the church. It's so sad, even in churches and it's all over. It doesn't matter whether it's our church or any other church, there's differences and alienations occur because We're not willing to humble ourselves and, you know, and say, guess what? Maybe you have something to say to me and I need to hear it. So may the Lord help us learn two things, I think, through chapter 16. Number one, do not, and I say to me and to you, don't play games with sin. Do not, do not, do not, do not. It will get you. As the scripture says, it will find you out and there will be a consequence. God's always willing to forgive, so don't get under condemnation. He'll forgive, but no, there will be consequences, and secondly, have an open mind. Have an open heart. Let God speak to you through other people. Be able to receive what they say, and then bring it to the Lord and see what he says to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Second Samuel, chapter 16. Lord, there's a lot of different uh, names in this chapter, a lot of different players. But Lord, those are two big points I just see, Lord. Uh, And David illustrates them. Uh, Lord, we've all been there somewhere where sin has deceived us, and we got off the road and we paid the price. So Lord, I pray, help us to learn our lessons quickly that we don't have to repeat them over and over and over again. Help us, Lord, by your grace, to seek to not dilly-dally with sin, but to turn from it and seek to trust you and to obey you. And Lord, we also pray uh, that you would give us the ability to hear what other people are saying to us, to not judge them before we've given them the ability to share their point of view. Help us to get into somebody else's head, Help us to see somebody else may see it differently than I, and perhaps they may even be right and I may be wrong. So I just pray for any of us that are in relationship issues, Lord, give us good communication. Uh, We pray that your love would flow very freely uh, and that you would get the glory and honor. So Lord, put a blessing upon each of my brothers and sisters. Help us all to be light, Lord, in a world that is darkened. Father, we take a moment right now and we pray for Israel what's going on over there, Lord. We pray uh, for the leadership that you would give them wisdom on how to handle this situation, Lord. You'd give them, Lord, the ability to do what's right. Father, we do pray that, uh, we're talking about sowing and reaping. We pray that the evil that is involved in this situation would be judged by you, uh, that you would stamp out the evil, Lord. Uh, We pray also, Lord, that you would be with those that are mourning uh, with loved ones that have been killed. We pray, Lord, that you would wrap them around uh, others with a sense of peace where there's panic and where there's so much uh, destruction, God. We pray uh, for the Jewish nation, Lord, help them to find you as their Messiah in this, this extreme situation. Uh, and as Pastor Brennan said, we lift up our two sets of missionaries to Israel, that you would just give them supernatural strength to minister in a hard situation. So, Lord, we just stand before you uh, and we ask that you would be involved in this situation in what's happening in any repercussions that we go into the future. And we commit these things, Lord, into your care and your keeping. And we thank you for your presence, Jesus and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, folks. Keep praying. Keep praying. So important for that part of the world. God bless you all. Have a great day.